I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com. Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we got an awesome, awesome guest today four time European champion, intercontinental champion, the longest member of the nation of domination, the headwag himself. We got D'Lo Brown. D'Lo, welcome to the show. What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. I've been wanting to be on this show for a long time, so I'm I'm finally glad I'm here. D'Lo, man, thanks so much for your time today. We know you're out where, Vegas? I'm in Vegas right now. And it's, so it's your, your time. It's, you had to get up early to, to, to work with Jay and JBL and I. We sure appreciate it, man. There, there's so many, so many great stories with D'Lo Brown. You know, we, all the three of us were we come along just the right time. You know, yes. we, we, we got to be in each other's company and, and be, become friends with each other. Dino, take us back a little bit. You were a Maine Bear. You played football in Maine and got your degree up in Maine at accounting. Now, how did an accounting guy end up in the nation of domination? <laughs> well, it was one of those things where um, I went to go work in New York City, uh, but I, I originally grew up near New Jersey. So I would drive down on weekends and hang out with my friends who were still backyard wrestling. So I'd go hang out with them and, and watch what they were doing. And every month they would rent a ring. Larry Sharp's ring and, and put on little shows. So I decided to roll around with them again. And uh, one time I'm rolling around with them. We're at Larry Sharp's place. He, we ran his ring. The we monster little, factor. The world the monster, factor. monster factor. We, we put on a little. Uh, Paulsboro, Paulsboro, New Jersey. This one was in Clementon. So right next. Oh, next well, town I, 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 I won't interfere anymore. I won't. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um, and so. Uh, 
Larry watched us roll around and he, he came up to me afterwards and said, Hey, you're, you're pretty big and athletic at the time. I'm, I'm down there 400 pounds flipping around. And he goes, you ever think about doing this for real? And I said, yeah. So he goes, I'll tell you what, you want to be my next show? Sell 50 tickets and I'll put you on the show. <laughs> so I, I sold four, bought the other 46 myself. And that's how I got on my first wow. show. And that how much were they? $10 a piece. Wow. So it cost so you I, how much money to, to we're happy four, first? Match? 460 bucks. I paid $460 to be in my first match. Well, it's cheaper than that uh, ferry charge to break guys in, though, right? Yeah, this is true because he would charge you <laughs> 500 bucks to, for a tryout. So, yeah, I know. Um, and I, I had my first match there. And two months later, ended up in Smoky Mountain. And two and a half years later, ended up standing next to Ron Simmons in the Nation of Domination. Wow. So you, you, were, you, you played football at the University of Maine also? Yes, I did. What defensive end, deep uh, stand up defensive end. Yeah, uh, did you have, Bears? have any aspirations to do what? They were they were they were the, they were the main Bears, Black Bears, main Black Bears. <laughs> awesome! I didn't know the nickname. I I, I heard even Mister Man. I didn't know the nickname. That's cool. So yeah, you had to be impressed when I knew though, John. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so Mr. you got to know these things. When you have guys on like D'Lo Brown, man, you got to do your research <laughs> because he goes way back. So D'Lo, uh, growing up, I, you know, you you ended up with Larry Sharp, who who trained a lot, a lot of superstars. Mm-hmm. Had you been watching wrestling when you were at university or high school? Who who was some of your favorite guys, and who did who did you want to be? I've been watching wrestling since I was nine years old. Um, I grew up on. You know, uh, worldwide wrestling, the NWA. Where I grew up in New Jersey, I got NWA, AWA, world class. Um, uh, um, I got uh, Bill Watts, UWF at Oklahoma. I got Florida wow. Championship Wrestling. So I got all of it. So I was exposed to everyone from, you know, Ron Simmons to Kevin Sullivan to the Von Ericks to Savannah Jack to Tyree Pride. Like it was all over the place. Tyree Pride, man, what what a what an underrated superstar he was. Yes, he was. He could he could go the Bahamian sensation. Um, and yeah, so I grew up wrestling, watching wrestling and just loving it, um, falling in love with it at a young age. In spite of my grandma hating it, I loved it and watched it every Saturday. <laughs> Your grandma hated it. Now that's my grandma hated it. She couldn't stand it. I'd I'd have to go sneak on Saturday sometimes to go watch it, and just go downstairs into the. Uh, downstairs into the rec room area and turn it on and turn the volume down and I couldn't yell uh when, when good stuff happened. So when you when you made when you made that transition from the main black bear to into uh end up the world of professional wrestling, did you tell Granny what you were doing or, or did, well, how, how how did she find out? Unfortunately Granny was passed <laughs> by then. Oh, she God. wasn't around. But I think she would have liked what I was doing because I was following and chasing a dream. So I always tell myself she would have, she'd have been okay with it. So how was your football team with the Maine Black Bears? We were just, we stunk. <laughs> right. What, what conference were you? You're the first one to come on and been honest with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody, oh, we're, everybody we're else good. tells us how they were like 18 time All American and their team. No, no, we were rot. We were rot. I made 26 tackles behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> Solo. <laughs> I made I made I made 26 tackles in practice on a video game. <laughs> what conference were you in? Uh, what was that? The uh, damn it! What was it? It was the same one that Vanderbilt, uh, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, Villanova. It's probably not the same anymore. 
No, it is not the same anymore. It was like could you have Villanova and who else was in the conference? We had we had um, Boston College, Boston U, places like that. So nothing big. We were a small little conference, small little team. What did you move to New York for? You moved to New York to be an accountant? Uh, yeah. So when I left, I, I'm originally from New Jersey. Uh, went down to go work at uh, a Fortune 500 company in New York because one of my coaches had a connection. And so he got me in as a grunt accountant. And I sat in a cubicle for 80 hours a week. Um, yeah, it was one of those you, you get there at 6 a.m. and you leave at 10 o'clock at night, you rinse and repeat. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, when you first get in, you're doing all the grunt work that the the uh, the partners don't want to, to be around or to, you know, handling the filing or all the, the BS work. You're really not doing any accounting. You're just doing data entry and filing. And this is this is pre like good computer. So this is all by hand and carbon copy and all that wow. crap. Think how, how difficult the world was back then when you I mean just that it hadn't been that long ago for you guys, you know, when you when you still had to do everything by hand, you know. As, yeah. As I mean accountant as an accountant, we all try to do our taxes and we know how uh painstaking that is now frustrating. I tell everybody I would have graduated college in two years because if you subtract all the time, I would walk to the library and have to sit there compared to all everything is in your hand on your phone. Now you just Google it. I would have graduated in two years. All that walk time. None of that would have happened. So, so, the, so that Larry Sharp deal, that, that wasn't a bad deal paying, paying 400 bucks for, to get into the business you wanted to be into. So that, that's, that's really cool. Did you get any training after that deal or did everything got, just seem to click and you, you say, man, this is, this is where I want to go. I got about three weeks of training, four weeks of training um, before I left for Smoky Mountain. I, I was a natural because I just played around the backyard the time I was a kid. So I'm pretty much self-taught. Um, and then it was when I got down to Smoky Mountain, that's when Cornette, um, I told him how long I'd been in the business. And he goes, don't ever tell anybody that again. <laughs> he goes, if they ask, it's two years. Because I was right about two and a half months. He goes, it's two years. And that's when he took interest in me and, and started trying to polish me up and, and, and help me out along the way because he saw my, my natural athleticism. Were any of those guys that you trained, that you rolled around in the backyard, were any of them trained? No. Um, we were all just – backyarders there was another kid named uh, tom carter reckless youth he wrestled for a bit on the independence as well um but none of the other ones got into it um like we did and then i went the furthest out of all of them obviously how'd you get to smoky mountain funny story you remember you remember balls mahoney boo brad uh, balls mahoney Right. Yeah, from yeah. Said he ki- said he killed a whale with a spork one time, or whatever, or a shark, or whatever it was. Right? Remember a shark, that what, shark? Yes, a shark with, with a spork. spork. You know, a half spork. spoon, half half fork. A spork. He's, yeah, jumped on the back of a great white and killed it. Yeah, wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> he claimed yeah. that. He claimed well, I, I've never, it. I've never heard that story. I got to hear that. Tell Nilo, that, that, that he, he did. They claimed that, right? Is this true yeah, story? He, he, he was. We were sitting around catering or something, and he was talk, just talking about things people. We're guys talking about things they had done, and he's like, "I killed the shark with a spork one time." Yeah, and yeah. the room just stopped, came to a crashing halt. You what? And he, and then he went on to explain with a spork, he killed the great white shark by jumping on his back. He, he described the whole thing how he stabbed yeah. it, you know, like like Ahab on the, the Moby Dick. You know, <laughs> yes, wow. yeah, with a spork. I, I don't, I, I, I don't think anyone had the 
the ball's asking where do you get the spork at in the ocean, but hey. <laughs> I don't know. know There's tides, man. There's tides for a moment. That's why he used to get the gimmicks anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, he, um, once, I, he once said he squatted 1,000 pounds when he was younger, too. Y- yes. Yes, he did. Yes, so he which did. story do you believe? <laughs> How about uh, none of them? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe he jumped on the back of a shark and squatted 1,000 pounds. <laughs> I, I think after he did that, he F5'd the shark like Brock did. In the- and there it is, <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, okay, um, so, so you're going to Smoky Mountain. You're yeah, so, only killed a shark. <laughs> So after he killed the shark in his younger days, um, we were at, we we're at the monster factory and he comes into the, to the, um, to the school and he goes, Hey guys, uh, I got a job down at Smoky mountain. Unfortunately, I don't have a driver's license. So who wants to drive <laughs> me to Tennessee? And I raised my hand before anybody else could. I said, I got you. We're going. And so he said he convinced Cornette to give me a eight minute dark match because I drove him down there. So uh, it was myself, Balls Mahoney, and a guy named Ace Darling. We all drove down. Um, I wrestled Ace Darling at the at the Bluegrass Brawl, eight minutes. And Cornette literally told me, if you want a job, be back here next month for TV, and you can start next month. And I went home, packed up my stuff, turned around, and was back down in Tennessee, and that's how it started. Wow. How many matches had you had at that point? Five. Three of them were... WWF dark uh, um, enhancement matches. Now that, that that's a feat in itself, right there, uh, D'Lo, because a lot of guys don't get invited back. And here you are with a guy with limited experience, and you you get five WWE dark matches. And folks out there that that really don't know these dark matches, they're they're make or break you. If you come in and you impress, and you get invited back, if, if mm-hmm. you don't have any talent, you're you're out the door, and you never never seen of again. So you must have impressed one of the agents pretty pretty handily. There wasn't uh, Tony Grill, was it? Yeah, tell tell it me was what. Chief, no, Chief J Strongbow <laughs> liked me a lot. Uh, Chief liked me a lot, and uh, Jack Lanza liked me a lot as well. So I got lucky that people saw me and saw talent. And, and for those of you who don't know, when you go up there and do what's called an enhancement match or a job match, you're being graded on everything from the minute you walk in the door to how you are with the contract of talent to how you, how you handle yourself walking to the ring or ne- let alone being in the ring and performing. So, um, you know, I was put in a good situation and luckily I had good guys. I worked with, you know, work with earthquake. He was really good with me. Um, work with the Quebecers. They were good. I worked with Yoko and Ona, Yoko and Owen. So I had really good guys who would take care of me, gave me just enough so I could be credible and then beat the hell out of me. Yoko was a great worker. I mean, Yoko, Yoko was, he was such a great athlete. You know, it's, you, when you saw him, you saw this, this big, massive man until you saw him move. And then it was like, he was like a cruiserweight in the way he moved around the ring and, and the way he controlled his weight. I never felt any of him on me. And it was amazing to have someone that big and never feel anything. So how did you like uh, working with Jimmy and, and Smoky Mountain? I loved it because that's where you, where I definitely got, you know, I'm in a locker room with the Rock and Roll Express, Tracy Smothers, Dirty White Boy, you know, just a who's who of, of Southern wrestling knowledge. And I've got the master of the promo and Jim Cornette. So it was like going back to college and trying to, to re-educate myself on what wrestling was. And, and luckily, um, 
luckily Cornette kind of took me under his wing and helped me with promos and I got put with the gangsters. So I got a whole culture change there. Um, but I loved my time there. It was so eye opening, you know, except for the clan rallies, everything was good. <laughs> Did you run into any of those? It's the South. You're going to run into those all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember traveling with Thunderbolt Patterson. We'd pull in a, uh, some of these uh, Carolina towns or Virginia towns. Welcome to KKK country. Yeah. You yeah, just yeah. swaddle kind of deep and say, here we go. <laughs> yeah. You, you sit back in your seat and hope you make it through the other county line before they yeah. see you. And, uh, deal, and, send a, and, send, and send a whiteboard for beer afterwards, right? Yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> oh, holy <laughs> cow. We had several times. This is in the mid-90s. I mean, this is not like 1890. This is 1990. We'd go in, pull up to some, you know, flea bag hotel. And Are you referring that 1890 to me? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you were in the Spanish-American War. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd pull up to a hotel what? We'd pull up to a hotel, and Godfather would always joke. He goes, send the white guy. Because yep. Godfather went up there a couple times, and they told him there's no rooms. And just to check, I would go right behind. We're in the south. I I go right behind him. I go, sir, you got any rooms? Uh, yeah. I'm, what do you need? Like, dude, yes, dude. I need a non-racist yeah. dude to check me in. Yeah, room. I need a yes, a non-racist hotel with rooms. I, uh, remember, remember that the barn in uh, somewhere around Indianapolis that had the c- Confederate flag. That guy was supposed supposedly some grand dragon of the the KKK. Me and Ron well, used a, to see it all the time. That was a bar, wasn't it? I don't remember. It was on, on the roof. And on the roof had a, a uh, Confederate oh, it was flag. Full, it was like a full roof on, on the thing. It was like where the, the roofing tiles were. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Had a, yes, yes, yes. The whole thing was a Confederate flag. They always said that yeah, that was, was some a, Grand Dragon or something. I'm yes, it was this huge barn somewhere in Indianapolis that was. I'm like, dude, you, you got to be kidding from the highway. You're a pathetic racist and you're advertising it? <laughs> At least. Yeah, you're not and you're in Indianapolis. You're not even in the Confederacy. <laughs> That's like, uh, right. come on, man. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, no, Indiana was the one that broke the Klan because the, the governor had kidnapped some uh, young black girl and threw her off the train, and they caught him, and that's what that's what broke the Klan, at least in Indiana. It was, I mean, it was a, it was, a, it, it was, a, it was a very white state. It, it's it, it, no disrespect. It still is. I I visited you not before. It still is. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, SaveWithConrad.com. You know, your, your, your time in Smoky Mountain, what, 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 what uh, angles were you involved in? What, what matches, big matches, where you, you finally got that door open just enough to say, come on up? Uh, well, one of the big ones was when Undertaker came down and, and did our Thanksgiving Thunder. And it was myself, New Jack, and Mustafa the Gangsters against um, Taker, Tracy Smothers, and Dirty White Boy. And 
I remember in, in John City, Tennessee, uh, Taker gave me the tombstone for the finish. And I remember coming to the back and him walking up to me, you know, and I, I you know, I walked up to him and I was like, how did everything go? And he goes, kid, I think you got chops for this. You can do this. Keep working at it. And that moment right there, I said, wow. I, I think I can do this at the next level. I think I can do this. And here I'm, I'm six months in at the time. And here's Taker telling me he thinks I can do this at the next level. And I was like, okay, all right. Then let's 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 rededicate now. Let's focus now. Let's let's take a deep dive because this could be a I don't have to be a weekend warrior. This could be a career now. What year was this? This is 90, 94. Was because uh, uh, I was with uh, I was with Glenn Kane in uh, Europe yeah. at the end of I think the end of ninety four. Uh, and he had come from Smoky Mountain, then he went straight to WWE. So was yes. Glenn was Glenn still there and Al Snow was still there? Glenn and Al Snow were there. Glenn was doing the Unabomber gimmick and yeah. Al was being Al Snow. So yes, we were there at the same time. Yeah, what a I mean, Glenn was just he was just a freak. You know, he was because we still is. I, I don't, were, well, I don't know how he had an age, but he's he's still no. is. And he took his shirt off on the internet the other day. He looks better than he did before. Uh, <laughs> I hate him. I actually hate him. <laughs> yeah, but because I'm 55 too, and I don't look like that. No, he he looks like he's 25. Like that, I hate him. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we were there at the same time. We trained together. Um, there was time when we actually lived together for a moment. But then Glenn got his own place because he had met a uh, he met Crystal's wife. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Glenn, Glenn, when he was that age, I mean, everybody looks at Sid, Sid Vicious and Sid Hootie and wow, what a body. But Glenn Jacobs was, was half a foot taller and looked looked better than Sid in, in, in those days. It's, it's very hard to get someone that long, be that muscular and dense. And yeah. it's just, it, he, was, he was a freak in 94, and he's a freak today in 2022. Amen. <laughs> when he came to Europe, uh, they brought over a lot of Americans, you know, they had to like do like fill in spots, you know, and, and Otto would always go, Oh, I've got this great American talent. That was, a, that was the death knell of the guy, you know, cause they'd bring them in and we just, we would root for their, their failure. So mm -hmm. Glenn, Glenn came in and he goes, I've got this guy. He looks like Sid Vicious. He's great. And we're like, this guy's going to be horrible. <laughs> so we all go out to watch him wrestle and, and he was good. And we thought, hell, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't a reservation dome, too. <laughs> yeah. Then I ended up tagging with him, which is which is awesome. Yeah, he uh, he and I are we're, we're good friends to this day. And um, yeah, I what a I great saw crew you guys had down in Smoky Mountain. I mean, that, that was a good territory. It I know who's a who's who because at the time, if you if I it, Smoky Mountain at the time was the first developmental for WWF, but no one knew it. Um, guys like Glenn, myself. Lance Storm, Chris Jericho, um, then you say Tracy Smothers, Dirty White Boy, Rock and Roll. We all came out of there um, at some point. So, I mean, that crew we had in Smoky Mountain, it, it, I tell people, if you can't learn with that locker room, that's a you problem. That, that is a you problem because yeah. you, had, you had a the who's who of wrestling there. That's, that's, that's so true, man. The talent that, that's loaded there, if you don't take the time – no matter what age you are in the business, you got you got a group of talent like that. Everybody mm -hmm. can learn from them. And shame on you if you don't take the time to sit down and listen to these guys and listen to why they do certain things. And in mm -hmm. the locker room, that's where, where you can really eavesdrop and listen to some good stuff. In there. Yeah, I would make it a point. Like, I would go listen to, to Bullet Bob call matches or 
you know, uh, Road Dog or, or Brad Armstrong call matches, and I would just sit there and listen and then go watch it because I thought I had the best seat in the house because I got to hear it. I got to hear them put it together. I got to go watch the match, and then I got to hear the post match how they would talk afterwards. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I, I couldn't buy this anywhere. So I made it to be a, a sponge, just soak it up. And that's something I, I followed to WWF when I would sit next to Ron and listen to him put his matches together. Because I just wanted to, these are the people who I wanted to be, I wanted to be like and, 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 and wrestle like. So, man, I had the best seat in the house. When when you said you when when you when you were getting into business, of course you you had heard of Ron. Did had you watched him work? Did you study him? Was he one of the guys like you said that you really wanted to emulate and be a lot like? Ron wasn't only one of the guys I emulate. Ron, I was a fan of Ron. In fact, in nineteen ninety three, I was in the Baltimore Arena when he won the WCW World Title. So, oh really? Uh, yes, and, and I'll tell you a story that I tell I told Ron. It was uh, 93, he won the world title. In 97, we're cutting a promo in the Baltimore Arena doing the nation thing. And we go to commercial break. You know, you go to that awkward commercial break where you get introduced, stand in the ring, and, okay, oh, we're going to horrible. Barber. And there's that two minutes of either standing or doing nothing or, you know, luckily we had Ron who's talking, he cut a promo. So Ron's cutting a promo, and I'm looking around. And I'm looking around. Ron's got, what you doing? Oh, wait one second, Ron. And I'm still, I'm Joe Youngboy. I'm still wearing the bow tie. Uh. And, and so Ron finished up, get ready to come back. We're back in like 30 seconds. What you doing? I go, Ron, right there. And I pointed his seat. I said, right there's a the seat I was sitting in when you won the world title. Ron looks at me and he goes, and he hears, we're back in three, two. And Ron, you know, back to the nation thing. So we walk up the ramp. We walk up the ramp and get to the grill, and I get a I get a hand on my shoulder. Ron looks, spins around, goes, "Don't you ever do that to me again." And I go, "What?" He goes, "Make me crowd national TV," and he gives me a <laughs> hug. And that that's the night I knew Ron. I was gonna Ron was gonna take care of me. He took me wow. under his wing that night, and and that's why, when Ron really put time to me. Why did you go to that match? I mean, was there a reason for it? I mean, because that was just um, a random match. It was a random Baltimore show, and my friend and I, Tom, we would travel because Baltimore was only 90 minutes from my house. So it was no different going to Baltimore or going to New York. So we would just travel down to the show. So there were shows in Philly, Baltimore, or New York City. I was going to go I was going to go see them. So it was just a random match. WCW was in town. Had no clue. Obviously, no one had any clue Rob was going to wrestle Vader. That was a late-minute substitution. But being there, I got to witness history, and that was pretty damn cool. Oh, that's awesome! How how bad was that commission in Baltimore? Oh, I golly! <laughs> that's all golly. Guy, golly. You're being kind when you say golly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I remember one time he. This was, I was young and and he was there with and and we're doing a show in Baltimore we're at the arena, and something's happened. He's running around the back. He's going, "I'll shut this show down," and and Vince goes, "Shut it down," and it just was. He put him in his place, but that guy, he, he was on a power trip. He was, he was an sh- idiot. I mean, he was going to shut the show down for, like, I think somebody didn't take a blood pressure and he's going to shut the entire show down live on TV. He's going to shut us down five minutes before we went on TV. Ron and I had to leave one time. We're going down to visit Hermie Sadler down in Southern Virginia. Yes. And we have, we're, trying to, we're trying to hurry and get out of the arena. Well, a boss man had busted open Ron and he, had, he needed a couple stitches. So I come back and I said, hey, can we get a doctor so open up real quick? We're trying to get on the road. 
And the commission guy was such an idiot. He's going, who did it? Well, now I'm not. Now I realize he's he's going to be mad at somebody. So I'm not going to tell him. I go. It happened in the ring. I I don't know. It was obviously an accident. I've got to know who did it. And so I go. All I need is a doctor. Put a couple stitches in his head so we can get on the road. And then he he says he goes. Don't you talk to me that way? I said screw you. I didn't say screw. (laughs) And and Gerald, Mr. Briscoe was there. He goes, John, you shouldn't talk to the commission like that. And the guy then smarted off to Jerry. Jerry goes, screw you. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know that long. <laughs> I I could see that conversation happening though. You know, Tim Tim White when we ran a house show there, they'd want to settle up the money. Well, Tim would disappear and go to an Irish pub uh, down the street, and then come mm-hmm. back and and make them wait for him. <laughs> he was just. Uh, that's why I love Tim. That's why you got to love Tim. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just speaking to Tim White. Tim White refuses to come on this show, Dilo. What? Oh yeah. Yeah. Why is that? We we were going to get him on the show. He pulled over in Texas and he was going to use his iPhone and he couldn't figure out the iPhone. So he got mad at me and Jerry because he's technologically inept and he starts cussing <laughs> me and Jerry. He hangs up and we hadn't heard from him since. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, we, 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 put, we put out bulletin for him and everything, <laughs> and he, he won't contact us. So you chased him away from the show. Okay, I like that. I like that. You chased him away from the show because his iPhone. Awesome. That's awesome. We love Timmy White, though. Timmy, Timmy's great. But you know that, that commissioner, that was his favorite. I'll close this place now. You know? That's what his well, favorite one was. <laughs> he never did it, but no, he, he never did every it. month. Can you imagine him walking out? Because Vince would have made him walk out and make the announcement. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yes. That'd be okay. You're doing it, so you got to go tell the people what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, he he, he just – he had a big bark but never bit anybody, but he just – he would spend all day flexing. You may have been there, D-Lo, when at one time he's going to not allow a hardcore match or something, whatever it was. He goes, I'm not going to allow that, just just because he was an idiot. So Mm -hmm. Lanza has somebody go out there and announce – the commissioner that is standing right there <laughs> is not allowed. To yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just switch the heat real quick. Yeah. Atlanta had those little subtle ways of pushing the heat on somebody else that you never knew it until it hit you. Man. <laughs> it was too late. Yeah. So so anyway, Dilo, you're you're Smoky Mountain, and and you, mm-hmm. you're getting all all these props, and you're feeling good about yourself. And how did that happen? How did how did you make a transition happened where you where you, where you left Smokey. Was, was Jim Cornette still working in the office? WWE Jim office? Cornette was Jimmy was bouncing back and forth at the time. Right. And uh so then my run in Smokey ended. Uh I went up to uh to the Midwest Ohio to wrestle uh with Al Snow at his body slammers gym um and spent some time there training and then training his students and then I went from there to Puerto Rico and spent six months in Puerto Rico. Um, was down in Puerto Rico, came home for Christmas, and then just gave Jimmy a random, hey, how you doing call? Because back then, you know, very little email. You know, you didn't text your cell phones, too expensive. So when you got home, just you did your regular, go through your Rolodex, make some phone calls. And I called Jimmy, and Jimmy goes, Dila, where the hell have you been? And I go, Puerto Rico. He goes, that makes sense. I've been trying to find you for six months because he had been looking for me. Um, and at the time, I think he wanted me to do one of those you remember the gimmicks that came in where it was like the pug and, oh, yeah, and uh, Bill Irwin came in as the yes, goon. as the goon. I think he wanted me to come in as one of them. 
And he goes, well, I'm glad I didn't find you. That really didn't work out. But hold on. I'll, I'll call you right back. And he hangs up on me. And, and um, Jimmy, I just called and he hung up on me. And like 10 minutes later, he calls back and he goes, can you be in New York this Saturday? And I go, this Saturday? He goes, yeah, we're starting a new show called Shotgun Saturday Night. Can you be there? I was like, uh, yeah. And he goes, I think it was Ann from WWE Travel will call you. And he hangs up again. And lo and behold, 10 minutes later, there's Ann from WWE Travel, WWF Travel calling me. And they're booking me a ticket to New York City. And he one question he asked me, he goes, do you have a suit? And I go, yeah, Jimmy, I got a suit. And after the phone calls over, I looked at my girlfriend and go, hon, I need to go find a suit. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the best answer. The best the best answer is never no. It's you yeah. never say you never say no because if you say no, go okay. Call someone else who has a suit. So I was like, yes, I have one, and I went to that day. I went to Goodwill, paid forty five bucks for a black suit that some guy wore at a funeral <laughs> that happened to fit me, and and that was the first suit. I, that was the first black D'Lo Brown Nation of Domination suit that I wore on TV. Man, man, those shotgun Saturday nights, they were wild. They were crazy. They were friggin' insane. <laughs> I thought they were I thought, I thought the show was awesome. Yeah, it was great. That's right. They were all of the above, man. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, for those who don't know, it was wrestling at a nightclub at 11.30 p.m. Saturday live. night. Saturday oh. night in New York City or in Texas or wherever we did it. Yeah. It was live in a club at 11.30 at night. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it was just crazy. Some of the stuff you'd see, like that, that, that one club in New York, when we first did it, the stuff you see, you can't repeat on live TV. You can't tell anybody what you saw. <laughs> I know you guys don't hear John, but Ricky's knocking on my door out there. He's got two big whooping cranes or something, Ricky and Lucy, that uh, come, come to him. And I think he actually talks to him. I do. I, I think they answer me too. They talk back to me. They're sandhill cranes. They're sandhill cranes. They just had a baby, and they the guy is so 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 tame with me now. My wife says you communicate with those things. They come to my door and they pound on my patio door for me to go out and feed the squirrels. It's against the law to feed them, so I feed the squirrels, and they eat, they eat the leftovers. They eat the leftovers. Well, that's why you get around it. Just throw it at the squirrels. Yeah, yeah. you know Barbara, what? Feed, feed, feed the squirrels, Barbara. You know what this all comes from, D- uh, D'Lo? You know, that? Uh, Gerald Briscoe lived right near Tiger King in Oklahoma. You know, Michael uh-huh. Hayes. Uh, Michael Hayes. Oh, I grew up. I grew up in that area where Tiger King was. Michael Hayes, illegitimate son. You know, Tiger King. And, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then Carol Baskin lives right by uh, down now, right, right down, down there in Tampa. And there's the triangle yep, right and, there. And Jerry's <laughs> taking care of the whooping cranes and the tigers. Just don't let's not let's not have a not That's read, I got that dead raccoon there. in my yard. I was, tigers got to eat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Nino, when you went to WWE, were, did you go straight in the nation? Yes, I was brought in to be um, part of the nation because at the time, remember, the nation had Clarence Mason and all the you know the guys standing in suits. Were those were all? Oh, Clarence, I forgot about Clarence. Clarence yeah. was great. Those yeah. were all Clarence's fraternity buddies. So none of them were trained. So none of them could bump. So here are these guys getting all this heat on the baby faces, and no baby faces could get any retribution back on them. So that's when Cornette and Jim Ross um, put me, you know, uh, 
lined me up for the position to be the, the bump taker for the nation. So that's when I came in and I was take a bump D-Lo. If there was a, a bump, I was going to be the one to take it. So D-Lo, I want to ask you, because I got this picture here that I, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. That's, that's, oh, the, I see uh, it. Yes. Yeah. that's the, the nation there. How is that group not the most dominant group in history? But you guys were so imposing when it was you, Ron, Godfather, and Rock. Then, of course, you had Mark Henry who's just as yeah. imposing. That, to me, I mean, I, I don't know why. Of course, I guess because Rock was breaking out. But I don't know why that, that didn't have an eight- to ten-year run. I don't either. I mean, and you I, – I look at the measure of a stable by not only how the guys do when they're in it, but how they do after they're in the stable. And everyone that was in the nation – went on to do better things after the nation ended. So that tells me how good the nation was as, as, a, as a spot for us to be in. I mean, and being around Ron and getting to learn from him and, and, and being around, you know, Godfather and get young pups like myself and Mark and, 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 and Rocky, man, we were ready to run. Like, I was mad Ron never became world champ in the nation. I mean, I thought we could have been tag team champs forever. I thought the nation could have done some amazing things. Was there anything that, that caused it not to? Was it rock breaking out and going on his own? What, what was was there a reason that it didn't last more longer than it lasted? Because it was so I, it was I, so it was so dominant. I don't know, and maybe it was just a vehicle to get you know for Ron and for eventually for Rocky, um, and maybe at first I don't know. Um, but I wish the nation could have got a longer run because I think it was so underrated in what could have brought. Because anytime we were involved in an angle. It was a hot angle, whether it was DX or the Road Warriors or that other guy I met, Johnson. Um, it would, no matter who it was, <laughs> um, the nation always had great, great feuds and great angles with people. So I don't, I wish I could have answered. If I could answer that, I'd be a billionaire, right? Because I'd be promoting everybody. Dino, yeah, you, you mentioned you mentioned the group there. Everybody in that group, they they all had had that star and waiting stamped on them. I mean, every, mm -hmm. every, every one of you guys, I mean, you could just see it and, and the intimidation factor. And it, it was so, it was so current and so topical. That, that John Dryden, you're right. That, that thing could last forever. And any, 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 any version of, of you guys together could be an individual champ, tag team champ forever. But mm -hmm. it's just one of those things, you know, guys started coming along, guys started busting out, you know, and, did you feel did you feel Dwayne a rock at the time? Did you feel him kind of busting out? I mean, and and it wasn't easy for for Rock because he was getting some internal heat because he was starting to bust out through no fault of his own. The people just started realizing who this guy was and what he could do. Did you, well, did you, you guys feel any of that? You could see Rock slowly gaining that momentum. I mean, and he had such charisma. He would still interview even when he wasn't even talking in. So you could feel it. And, and, you know, at the time I'm riding with Rocky, so we talked about it a lot. And it was like, hey, man, it's just, it's happening. What can you do? You can't control how the people react to you. All you can do is ride the wave when it happens. And, you know, when Rock finally got his, his, his big break, the rest of us in the nation, I know Mark and myself sat there and said, we could be the next one they choose. We could be the next one to get that big run. So we got to be ready for it. So it was never any jealousy or anything like that. It was like, we rooted for rock success because that could be a path for our success. So that's how we looked at it. It's like, he's, he's blazing a trail for us and we can follow it easily. And fortunately 
you know, Mark followed it to the world title. I followed it to the European Intercontinental title. And obviously Ron and Godfather, they followed the thing to the Hall of Fame. So um, it, we all just wanted our opportunity to show we could be the next one. Did Ron, did, 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 uh, did Rock have any internal heat with you guys? Because I know I was called to ask to talk to Rockham several times just to tell him to kind of, kind of step back and kind of join the group a little bit. Because Rock was at time, he felt he was busting out too. So Rock was really stepping forward and, and mm -hmm. taking control. Was, it, was there ever any internal heat with, with the group? I can only speak for myself. I know I never did. I know I don't I, be, I don't believe Mark ever did because Mark just was happy that one of his boys was was rising up. Um, I don't believe Godfather did, and I'll never ever be pretentious enough to speak for Ron Simmons ever. So <laughs> nobody I, is. I, I don't. I, don't I, will, I, will, I will, will never ever be that pretentious. So, so what I'm getting there was more of an office perception, and and uh, and there was anything else an office trying to cover cover their ass on a few things. Uh, I it, there was never any internal heat with with from us from our standpoint. I could say that you guys once were again, happy. You guys were happy for it. Yeah. We were happy, and then, and then once again, when one of us breaks out, we all break out. There's more attention on all of us, more eyes on all of us. So why would any of us be upset with more eyes being on you? Because the more the rock got put in high profile stuff, so did the rest of the nation. So uh, I was just I was happy just to be there and, and be going along for the ride. So. You know, Dila, yeah. I remember, you know, in that attitude area, we, we're selling out everything. You know, when Steve mm -hmm. got hot, you know, everybody got hot. DX got hot. You know, we were selling out everything. And I remember one of the first times that Rock closed a house show, a live event. And afterwards, mm -hmm. he gets on the microphone and the place is sold out. It's watched this incredible three hours of wrestling because, you know, we had a loaded roster. Yeah. Great match. Yes. yes. And then the Rock gets on the microphone and for 30 minutes, he just says his catchphrases, sings a song, and the people mm -hmm. go nuts. And, I'm, and I remember yes. just sitting there watching going, there's nobody else in the world that can do this. This, yes. this is amazing. It, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night and nobody wants to leave. Nobody wants to leave. They're being entertained. And that's when you knew he had the people captivated and, and he had them right here because he could do that anywhere, anytime. And say he, he could say Rudy too badass and people would pop. Like it was a second coming and, yeah. and he, he just, he had that thing and he connected and we all know you can't explain what that thing is that connects you to the people. You don't try to explain it. Once you have it, you don't try to figure it out because you're ruining it. When you have it, you have it, you let it run and he ran with it. I heard you describe him the other day on a, on a great interview you did. And I wish I could remember the guy's name to credit him, but I can't, but uh, you said rock, rock on these house shows, as John was saying, you know, we would give open mic night and rock would get out there. And as you describe it, he would, he would, he would come out with this spill. And he, he was so smart and so intelligent to the business, the things that the people bought, you know, he'd, he'd automatically uh, catalog it and mm -hmm. throw all the other stuff away. Then the next night he'd come in and, and, and refine it. Yeah. And that was the beauty of him because at the time, you know, like I said, we're traveling together. So, there were things he, that would work and he would either write them down or, 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 or file them away. And then things that didn't, well, that, that doesn't work. We'll never use that one again. And then after about four or five months, it was all he had to do is play the greatest hits. And he just knew when to say things. And he had a, he had a smart comeback for everybody. He had a one liner for everybody. And from there on, well, I don't have to tell anybody the rest is history. 
You know, I, I told Pat McAfee this the other day when I saw him at one of the pay-per-views. You know, I admire him because he tries. You know, mm-hmm. if you get up on a table and you dance to a song, if it works, you got 20,000 people dancing with you. If it doesn't right. work, you got to get down off the table. Yes. <laughs> you know, but you got to try. And so like what you say about The Rock is it's just as important sometimes to fail because you put that in the bag too. Go, well, that didn't work. So you put that in the bag. And what works, you, you put in this side. You know, it's just you got to try. And, that, and that's why I was telling Pat, I said, I admire you for doing that. And that's what The Rock did. He would try. Try one thing Rock after another. And then he'd have this formula. And then he'd get on TV yep. and he, he knew what worked. Yep. And that was the thing. It was for every success, for every successful catchphrase, there was five of them that in a Poughkeepsie house show, he would throw away and never use again. <laughs> That's right. You know, so people see the success, but they don't see the work. And There's nothing the worse, thing- though, than when, when you're trying something on a live mic at a house show, and it just oh. and like, and it's, just, it's just quiet. You can hear your own heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Is that bad? <laughs> that was... Let's let's if I'm quiet for 10 seconds, let's see. Hopefully they don't think I ever said that because it was really bad. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, hey, you know, I remember we, we, Jack Lance told us, you know, they, they were wanting to give Mark, uh, you know, a push because he was, you know, such a you know, world's strongest man. And right. we're working. I think it was in Albuquerque. I think me and Ron are working with you and Mark. So we got Mark in the ring. You know, we're just doing all kinds of stuff, you know, trying to you know, help him, you know, as best we can. And I mm-hmm. take him outside the ring and I run his head in the stairs. And he had never done it before. And it sounded like a gun going off. And, and, and he just, he ran his own head in the he stairs. He split his head. Yes. And he goes down and he's bleeding. And yes. I'm like, oh my God, I've killed him. And so I go in the ring and Ron goes, what happened to Mark? I said, I think he's dead. And Ron, and Ron said, well, if he's dead, we got to change the finish. <laughs> And he, I, I, he, I, he finally came to it and, you know, he got blood all over. But <laughs> I remember I, I believe jumping down, looking at him going, Ron, what happened? Mark, what's going on? And Mark's just going, I don't know. <laughs> he had never done it before. And he didn't tell no, me. He, so he just yeah. ran his head as hard as he could in the stairs and he busts himself wide open. It's just, just he's half out. I'm like, what do I do? I can't. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was like the suit when you asked you if you were asked if you got a suit. Yes, sir. I got a I got a suit. Mark Henry, have you ever taken this head bump into the set? Oh, yes, sir. I've taken this head bump into the set. Yes, yeah, I've, done it, I've done it. I've done it a thousand times. I'll figure it out out there. <laughs> it was just seamless, too. I go, I go head the stairs, Mark. And I go to run his head the stairs and go, bam! I go, <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> yeah, that, that, but you know, that was Mark. Mark was, and Mark's still the same way. He will try anything. Mark's going to go out there. He's going to, even if he can't do it, he's going to figure a way to figure it out. Were you there um, when he ripped the locker off the hinges? When he was mad, he was mad at something. No, no, no. It was uh, Arn Anderson had left his bag in one of those like high school type lockers with the combination lock and it locked. And he, and he pulled it off. He pulled it off the hinges and they tried to get a crowbar. And Ron goes, wait till Mark gets here. And when Mark got there, he put a towel on the one locker and a towel on the locker, and he pulled that locker off the hinges. And we're and we're sitting there going, Mark, if we've ever offended you, we want to apologize at this point. <laughs> that was. I'll tell I'll tell you a Mark Henry story about how strong he is. So you remember we would do double shots on on Sunday. Usually it was like, like Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Okay, so we do Pittsburgh at one o'clock and Cleveland at eight o'clock. So we're doing the, the Pittsburgh show, and, and Mark and I are first. We're first on the show, 
And normally you you do your match since it's a quick turnaround. You get in your car, go get some meat, and head right to the next town. So we're we're in the opening match. We go we run out. We're going outside. Our car is pinned in. Okay. And, and we go to security guard. We know who this car this is. The guy goes, "No." Mark goes, "All right, hold on." And as, as God is my witness, he walks over. He squats with his back to the front of the bumper of the car, puts his hands under the bumper, lifts the some bitch up, moves it over enough, enough so I could back our car out. And then he leaves it there and he goes, they could fix it. And we drive on the pit. We drive on to Cleveland. That's how strong Mark Henry is. He just, he didn't wait for someone to get keys. He just moved the damn car. Yeah, that wasn't a gimmick. World's strongest no. man was not a gimmick. No. Yes, that was Mark. He did, He was the strongest thing I've ever seen on God's green earth. Remember when uh, me and me and Ron and Godfather hit you guys from behind when he threw all that food on us in Nova Scotia? Yes, yes. <laughs> we had Taka in the back. That's right, Taka in the back. And I'll, I'll remember because it's, it's night. It's eleven o'clock at night. Kids don't do this at almost twelve o'clock at night. We're driving down the highway at like seventy miles, eighty miles an hour. And we see we see Ron and, and John driving, and we had this game. It was called it was tag. We would throw food at the car, so we threw it. Boom! And Mark immediately went, oh, no. Because I saw, like, John's face changed. And so I hit the gas. And I'm flying. And I'm flying. And I'm driving like this. Talk asleep in the back. All of a sudden, at 90 miles an hour here, I feel, boom! <laughs> and right behind me, in the brake lights, is John's face looking like a demon possessed going, <laughs> And Taka sits up calmly. Looks at the back window, goes, Bradshaw, he crazy. And then he said, <laughs> Jerry, we, we pushed him down the road. They threw food all over our car. And, and Ron goes, no, they didn't. <laughs> and Godfather's in the back. Godfather goes, hit him. It's been okay. people like you. It's people like you, D-Lo, that made, made my people cry, you know, with all the letter on the road. <laughs> Luckily, it was in Canada. Shoot. Okay, Canada. That don't it's matter. Don't up there. <laughs> we always said yeah, that's that when Neil got his head wagged. Yeah. That's when I got the head wagged. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, that, 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 that head wagged, man. We got to hear the story. I know you told it a million times, but uh, let's let's hear it. Did it happen by accident or you just come up with it? Com completely by accident. Um, so, or, or was it from that dog that John had in his back window? It might have been that one. Um, so back in the day, DVD, portable DVD players had just started coming out. So, you know, you'd have a sleeve of DVDs. So one of the DVDs that were always one of our go-to movies was the movie called Friday. So Rock and I would watch that thing all the time. So we're, it's a Sunday night. We had just finished up wherever. We had driven into town where Raw is the next night. We just throw Friday on before we go to bed, you know, no big deal. So the next night, Ron is wrestling Ken Shamrock on Raw. And I'm, I'm seconding Raw, Ron. I'm seconding Rock. And, and as the commercial break spot is, Rocky's going to throw Ken Shamrock over the top rope to the floor. Ken selling. Well, I was always taught, steal your moment. So I see Ken laying there. I know we're going to go to commercial. I run up to him and I'm just going to go, I'm going to just talk crap to him. Wind up going, you just got knocked up, blank out. And I shook my head because it's what Chris Tucker did in Friday. And my first thought was, oh, hell, I just said the, I just dropped an F-bomb on live TV. Vince is going to find me. And you know how I am with fines. Vince yeah. is going to find me. 
for dropping the F-bomb. So we have the match, have the match. We walk up to the back. And for all those who don't know, when you walk through the gorilla, Vince is sitting there and there's two looks. There's either Vince looks up his paper and gives you a thumbs up and looks back down, or Vince looks up his paper and goes, yeah, you, you don't, don't want, want that, that one. one. You don't want that one. No. You don't want that one. I've gotten that, that one, one a few times. That's that that's one's not one fun. We, we all fear that one coming back, no matter if we have a great match or not. So I, I get back to the curtain. And, nation, nation, nation. I turn to the curtain. I go, oh, God, here we go. And there it is. Rock walks by and get this. And Vince goes, D'Lo. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get fined 10 grand. How am I going to explain this to my fiance? What? Oh my God. So I get over and Vince goes, that uh thing you did with your head. Hmm, keep doing that. <laughs> and I walked away and I went, I didn't get fined. <laughs> that was my first thought. And then I said, hold on, if Vince saw something in that, then maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing I'm. So that's where it started. And next week on TV, I started over exaggerating with it. And then, a couple weeks later, I came with the shoulder strut because it worked out with the music. And then it just, it took a life of its own. And next thing I know, Road Dog is doing me. And next, uh, 20 something years later, I, I get stopped in the supermarket. Now people go shake your damn head. So, shake your head, they don't. Shake, shake, shake my head. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. It just happened and it connected. So I'm thankful. Hey, speaking of find, I know how you are find. Did I find you big time in South Africa one time? Yes, sir. It was <laughs> it was it was my first tour. We had just did it. We had just done Chicago. And we flew over to South Africa. Um, my first tour, uh, first night in, I, I'm hanging out with the boys. I'm one of the boys, and well, there was a little too much Jack Daniels flowing. So the next day, call time, bus time was like ten o'clock. And I oversleep. Here I am, my first tour, my first show, and I oversleep. <laughs> I get on the bus, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and Mr. Briscoe looks at me and goes, D'Lo, you can't be late. I'm going to charge you. I'm going to find you 5,000 rand. And I went, 5,000 rand? Oh, no. I got bills to pay when I get home. Because I already had to calculate what I was going to make on the tour and what bills I could pay. 5,000 rand? You know, and this is, I don't know money conversion. I've never left the country before <laughs> other than Canada. So we're over there 10 days. And for 10 days, it's like, don't take on any draws. 5,000 Rand is coming out. And I'm getting, I'm getting, oh my God. And everybody's on me. And, and, and Mr. Briscoe's riding me. And, and I'm like, oh God, I'm broken. I'm never going to pay my credit card bill. I'm charging up credit cards. <laughs> so finally, the last night. Mr. Briscoe goes, all right, 5,000 rand. He goes, that roughly converts to $50. Don't ever be late again. <laughs> and, and I went, oh. And the lesson was I was never late again for that no. tour. And I don't think I've been late again maybe once in, in 25 years because I don't want to get, I don't want to get fined 5,000 rand. Hey, that was a tour that Ron got his room flooded, right? Yes, the people <laughs> flooded the room. That's when he had the sunken living room, and somehow the roof, the, the water got turned on, and Ron was in the bed sleep, woke up, and it was a pool. <laughs> it was it was going all the way downstairs into the lobby. Yes, they had, they had to come check his room. 
Yes. Remember, remember Ron's excuse to, to Mr. Briscoe? The, 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 the peoples, the peoples left the water on. The, the people <laughs> yeah. left the water. The peoples. <laughs> and, Jer- and Jerry's going, Ron, what peoples? It was the peoples. That he left just kept the water saying it. That was it. The peoples. Jerry. The peoples. Eventually, peoples would have done it. It was the peoples. Finally, Jerry said to Ron, he goes, how about I just find you and not ask any more questions? Ron goes, that's a good idea. <laughs> I think I think I'll find the people. <laughs> find the people. Yeah. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. That was also the tour I heard the greatest wrestling promo of all time. So we're in um, Johannesburg. And yes. If you remember, yes. Yes. I remember the promo. Go ahead. Yes. 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 So, it it so is the greatest wrestling promo of all time. So if you remember, as we're driving on a bus, there's literally a sign that says, please check your guns here. But the deal, not yeah. to cut you off, but before that, Ron was cutting this promo that was unbelievable every single night. Yeah. Every yeah, night yeah. He, he was cut. He was killing. Ron was laying it down. So we get to Johannesburg and we're standing in this, this soccer stadium. I mean, there's 100,000 people around us, and, and Ron looks around, and he goes, let me tell you something. Crush, tell him. And he hands yeah. him like a crush, and Crush goes, brother, when I get a hold of you, brother, whoa, brother, and puts the mic down, and no one wants to talk because no one wants to get shot. We don't know if these red lights on us are lasers or scopes yeah. or what. Yeah, you guys had you guys had laser points all over yeah, you. Yeah, there were red dots on all of us, and, and there were guns going. that a pile of guns that yeah, people checked. Please, is a sign that please check your guns here. <laughs> Not coat check. It was a gun check. And, and Ramos, he grabbed the mic, was like, "No," and handed it to Crush. He gave it to the only white guy in the group. You talk. <laughs> you talk. <laughs> it was great because Ron had been cutting this promo every single night about, look, I'm not an African-American. I'm an Atlanta-American. I'm not part of Africa. And, you know, people are booing him like crazy and all this stuff. Then he gets to Joe Berg, and we all walk out to see what's happening because we saw that pile of guns. And Joe Berg at the time is a murder capital of the world. Yeah, right? that's yeah, right, yeah. 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 <laughs> and these guys had laser points all over him. And Ron goes, tell him, Crush. Crush. <laughs> and it was, and you see, Crush's face was like this, like he, And that's when he came up with the brother promo, and it was all right. Let's get this match over and get in the back for to make sure nobody gets shot. None, none of the heels wanted to get heat that night. None of the heels no. wanted to go over. <laughs> it was it was babyface steam the whole way. It was a babyface show, top to bottom. <laughs> Those were the best tours, you know, back when we do, you know, we had time to go over there because we did Raw either once a month or twice a month or whatever it was. Yeah. And we'd, we'd spend 14 days over there and you get to see, I mean, it's not like, I mean, we've had tours where it was over for two days and back, but back then, back in 97, we, you know, like you said, Raw was taped every other week or every two weeks. We'd have 10 days to go tour Europe or, you know, or England or wherever. 
And man, those were those are the bonding times because it was more about the bus rides and or the bar after the show in the hotel. <laughs> right. Right. And those are the tours where you got to know somebody, you got to know the guys and where friendships were bonded and, and created. So I mean I, I'm thankful for those for those long, long tours, but they were good. They were real good. Nilo, a, a few months, I don't know how long ago, but about a year ago, Bruce called me about something. Bruce Pritchard called me about something. And he goes, hey, you're not, you're in no way involved in that concussion lawsuit, are you? I go, of course not. I'm going to sue Vince. And right. he goes, okay. He goes, I, I knew you weren't, but somebody in headquarters had said, I think John may be involved. And it was a hundred percent not true. None of it was true. Mm -hmm. None of it was, I never even talked to their lawyer. Nothing, you know. Mm -hmm. Bruce killed it, thankfully. But when when Vince Russo, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to say how rumors start. When Vince Russo mm -hmm. left and went to WCW, I remember at the time people thought you were going to WCW mm -hmm. with Russo, and that really hurt you at WWE, right? Yeah, um, I was never going to go. In fact, I had just signed a a new deal right after Russo had left. I was never going to go down there, but I was perceived as being a Russo guy. Um, so when he left and when like guys like Jeff left, it was assumed that I was going to leave with him. And that kind of really halted my momentum in the company. And, you know, it, it, I don't think it ever recovered from that time, from that time period. Yeah. It's just strange how that near that time, you know, you, you, there's so many different crazy loyalties and rumors that go around mm -hmm. that can affect careers. Yeah. And it was such, it's such a heated time between the two companies that any thought that you were going somewhere else or may leave or might leave uh, Vince was going to put, put the brakes on you because he didn't want you taking any of that with you. So yeah, that, 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 uh, that put, that put some brakes on me for a while. You know, you, you went through the attitude era with, with all of us, just like mm -hmm. we did. You went through the whole competition with all of us, you know, and, and it, it became a zero-sum game at one point, you know. Instead mm -hmm. of saying, okay, both both sides can survive, it became one side's going to go out of business, you know. And yeah. We, I, think we, I think we all knew that. How has that impacted what you're doing with Impact now? I mean, how does that uh, affect – does that affect you at all, having – that experience that you couldn't get in a freaking Harvard classroom going through that Monday night war. Um, it, it affects the way I, 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 I produce an agent because I, I explained to them that this is, this is not about you and you get your opponents, you against whoever else is out there in the world. And when you, when that red light is on, you've got one chance to go out there and prove your worth. And, and, and you'll know that back then you had about one or two weeks to prove your worth. If not, they were going to put somebody else in that spot. So it was sink or swim. And I was always one of those guys who wanted to swim. So I, I try to teach my talent now that to go out there and give a thousand percent because you never know the next match is not promised. The next angle is not promised. The next TV show is not promised. Make this one the most important one. And that's how it keeps going. And, and, and it is all about the continued hard work of trying to be the best match you can be on the show, and that helps lift your show up as a whole. We had uh, Freddie Prince on uh, last week. I don't know if you got to work with Freddie when he was there. You know, Just a, a bit. Yeah, su super guy. But he was yeah. talking about you know he wanted to start up his own promotion just because he loves wrestling. And mm -hmm. his mindset, which I didn't really think about it till he said this, was there's plenty of room. You look at other entertainment genres, they're all kind of different shows for all kinds of things. And I didn't really think about it that way before until Freddie said it. And it kind of makes sense. 
Do you think the future of professional wrestling is a bunch of companies? I do, because I feel it's, it's going back to, and I, when I say the territory days, I just call it larger territories, like bigger swaths of the country where you've got your impact wrestlings or your AEWs or your MLWs or your ring of honors, or, you know, you know, different companies, you got your WWEs back then, you know, for the longest time, it was a two planet world, you know, universe. And now it's a 13 planet universe and there's still more room to grow. And I think, and I hope we all agree, the more places there are for the boys to work, it benefits the boys and it benefits the fans and it benefits the business. So I think business, right. And and, and, and that is the more competition, the more places it makes everyone work harder. It raised the level of every other body, everybody else's product because you're not just competing with yourself. You're competing. You're competing with every other talent roster out there. So I think it's going to go back to, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 smaller companies, not one or two large international conglomerates. You know, and, and like you were talking about earlier, you know, you went to Smoky Mountain. You talk about how you were sitting there under the learning tree of these of these incredible guys like Bullet Bob. You, mm-hmm. you can't beat that. I, as I was no. the same. I was the same. You know, with guys in Texas and Japan, Mr. Mr. Briscoe was the same when he came mm-hmm. in. You know, to me, it's been a real disadvantage to a lot of these young guys that they don't have that opportunity. And it's a wonderful opportunity. We didn't make money. You know, we love what we were doing. I, I get now that, you know, with the medical plans and with the, the pays, it's better now as far mm-hmm. as that goes. But you don't get that background in wrestling like we yeah. got. And it's really tough on these guys to learn on national television. And if you go back to having a lot of these different companies, you're going to have that again. And you're going to have the old guys that are around to, to mentor the young guys. And I think that makes a world of difference. Well, John, uh, I, I, just for just like an example, I mean, Dilo Dino said in the very beginning, when, when he signed with WWE, the first place he was assigned was Memphis. Memphis was around for that to happen. Smoky Mountain was around for, for us to send mm-hmm. guys down there. There were other little, little, little organizations around like that. So they've always been a lifeblood, no matter how big the company that we all three work with got, they always needed, needed that talent base. And that's the reason they ended up starting their own course, their own, 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 uh, own school. But then it's, it's unlike like the three of us, Dino sitting there and smoking about men, there's, Tennessee guys, there's New York guys, there's mm-hmm. West Coast, there's Ohio guys. You're absorbing all that knowledge from yeah. each little geographical spot. When I was, when I was working, guy would walk into a dressing room in Portland, Oregon. Man, I would want to know, hey, what's it like out Portland? You know, mm-hmm. what, how 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 do you get over out? Is it the same way you get? Oh, it's not the same way to get over all over the country. It's different, and there's a little little field. When you have that locker room full of all those diverse people that's been around the been around the world, you could sit there and you can just listen. If you got any talent at all, and you're you're going to absorb a lot of knowledge in that dressing room. And I think that's really what what's missing. Even though we have that great NXT over there, the greatest place in the mm-hmm. world to train, man, they they still it's still that one philosophy instead of you know a smorgasbord of philosophies. And I'll second everything you said, and I'll add one more thing. Another thing we're missing is those three-hour, 300-mile card rides because more lessons were taught while the rookie was driving and the vet was sitting in the front seat or the back seat telling stories or breaking down a match or critiquing what you did. More was learned right there in that car than any match ever on TV or anywhere. Um, I can't tell you how many times it was my job to drive Ron 
And Ron would just break me down for three hours and build me up the last 20 minutes and go, let's go do it again tomorrow. And that's how you learn. That's how you really figure out, okay, this doesn't work. This works. And you, you move forward. You try it again. And when Ron tells you you stink or you're good, then you take it to heart. Yeah, and, and, and it's the same way. I mean, you're sitting in a car and you're blasting music, you're blasting the radio. We, we listen to the radio full blast going down the highway. You know, I guess we all have hearing problems. But as soon as somebody, I know in, in my car, and probably in you, as soon as somebody started talking about that match, you reached Boom. toward and you turned that radio off. Yes, sir. And you sat there and listened to the guy talking about mm-hmm. the match. And you, you learned from that experience. And that's, that's one of the things that I think is missing from today's business. Not that it's, it's a worse business today or, or a lesser business, but I think there's that, there's that as, as, as Bradshaw said, there's that, there's that backbone of what's missing, that teaching tool, that bridging of generations and bridging of age gaps, one teaching the next, that, that handoff of information is not happening anymore. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like, you know, they have options that we didn't have. You know, they, mm-hmm. they have they have the, the, the phone that has uh, all their brand on it, you know, their social media yeah. brand, their Instagram, their TikTok, all that different stuff. And they mm-hmm. make a lot of money off that, you know, yes. and, it's, and, it, and it is important. Yeah. Yeah. But that Very takes important. away from the interaction with, with the guys. You know, I mean, they're making a lot of money and that's wonderful. Good for them. I don't begrudge that at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just but you lose some of that interaction with another old guy that can re- or girl that can help you with mm-hmm. your career because you're so busy building your brand, which, which is also very important. I'm not, I'm not knocking these guys for no, what no, they're doing. No. You no, know, I, I think it's understand. wonderful what some of them have done on TikTok and, and I do too. Twitter and Instagram. I'm good for them, man. Make as much money as you can. Absolutely. Hope that there's also that t- opportunity they have to be able to learn the business. Well, and, and, and your brand is very, very, very important. Your social media is extremely important. But without being in the ring, you don't have a brand. You don't have social media because it all starts in the ring. And that's where your core, your business needs to be, is your work in the ring or cutting that promo. And that's where you learn from that vet. And if you learn, if you took that step, your brand might be 10 times larger. Yeah. Your social media presence might be 10 times larger if, you, if your core product was more, more, uh, more sound. Yeah, because your core product is what everything is based off of. That's it. That's your foundation. Without right. that, everything's on, it's on it's on a you know a house of cards. By the way, is our is our is our boy the Godfather not the best follow on social media? Bro, I love him. <laughs> He's I, the I best. Love him. I love. Him. I live for his for his Instagram yeah. post. It's just I love I, I love I, that guy. Talk about I'm, I'm, I'm twenty five hundred miles away, and I can still feel the effects of some of his IG posts. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about someone who took his his foundation and made his social media brand. He is, his brand is bigger than he, than his in-ring character. The Godfather has become something greater. And you know, what's great about it. He'll go to a convention and he'll split up time between characters. Yes. I've sat next to him. I sat next to him. And in three days, he's the Godfather. He's Papa Shango and and he's Kama Mustafa. He don't care. (laughs) It's the best. He is he'll just three, the best. He'll get, he'll get three paydays. <laughs> he's great. He's great with all three of them, too, man. Yes, he yeah. is. So, Nilo, if you're the longest uh, member of the Nation of Domination, was Ahmed the, the shortest member of the Nation of Domination? Yes, <laughs> we, we, we got to get Tell us about Ahmed. It was I one mean. day, right? <laughs> it was one day. We, we, we brought him in 
in like, oh, did Jim Ross bring him in or did you guys suggest that he come there? Uh, it was an obvious suggestion. It was an obvious suggestion. Jim Ross. Jim Ross. We'll, we'll Jim blame Ross. it on Jim Ross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so he came in on like a Sunday in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and got jumped out on a Monday in like Hershey Park, Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and once again, I'm not going to speak for Ron. I just know what's fact. Ron hated him as long as the day is long, and, and I'm right next to him. So and Ron don't I, hate anybody. And Ron don't, don't hate anybody. nobody. <laughs> Ron can have a conversation with anybody. He just there's certain people he don't get along with, and that's one of them. I know you remember the match. Uh, Ahmed came up to him before the the, the match, and he goes, uh, "Ron, listen, you hit all these guys with this leather belt, you know." He goes, "You know, I'm I'm one of the boys now. You know, don't don't do that to me. You know where I'm going." Mm-hmm. As soon as I'm yes. like, no, I wouldn't do that to you, Ahmed. As soon as yeah. Ahmed starts coming through the ropes, Ron starts hitting it with that leather belt. And I bet he hit it 25 or 30 times. That belt came off so fast, I jumped because the recoil came right at my face. What the hell? Wham, wham, wham. <laughs> Just beat him down. Uh, and, and the night we jumped him out. Um, this, is, this is the downfall, right? The yeah, downfall. this is the downfall. The night we jumped out was it was Hershey, I think. And and man, he didn't want he didn't want he didn't like me at all. And that's okay, it's mutual. Um, so he's telling us how we're gonna beat him up. Uh and and he looks at Rock, Rocky goes, You hit me with the rock bottom, and Godfather, you do this, and, and Ron, you could do this. And, and he looks at me and goes, Dilo, you don't touch me. <laughs> okay. So he leaves, and Ron looks Ron looks at me and goes, Whatever I tell you to do, you do. So Rocky hits him with the rock bottom. And Godfather puts the boots on him, and Ron looks at me and goes, "Now go to the top," and Froggy his ass. And I go, "What?" He goes, "Don't do it." So if you watch the TV, I hit him, I frog him, I get up. Ron goes, "Now go do it again." He <laughs> sent me up to that turnbuckle, and Silver Thomas said, and he looked at me, and said, "Don't you tell anyone what to do?" Because he he looked at he just he hey oh god, he just didn't want hit it. Mm. I can't say half the things I want to say, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> say I'm doing all. Yeah, just, just, um, just. Ahmed had a different mental makeup than the rest of us. I'll put it like that. Well, what happened on one day? I mean, why, why, why was it a one day? I know, I know the personality conflicts, you know, because everybody knows <laughs> what happened. But what happened? So at the time, the nation is the biggest heel group in the company. And we got the heel run. So Ahmed wants to come in, but he wants to be babyface and take us to orphanages. And he's like, we're going to do this for the kids. And Ron goes, we're going to do it for the who? The kids. We, and then it just, he had these warped senses. He wanted to be the leader of the nation. He wanted to do all that. He wanted to turn the nation babyface on his own without approval from the office. He was just going to turn us. And Ron goes, no, 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 this ain't going to happen. And I remember this because we were, we were standing there and Ron goes, Dilo, come with me. And we're walking. We're power walking. You know, you know Ron's power walk, right? So oh, we're yeah. power walking. We walk right to Vince's office. Now, for me, I'm still young. That's hollow ground. You don't go in there. <laughs> or, or you knock and you wait. Ron just opens the door, walks in, and goes, come on. And I'm like, oh, God. I'm going <laughs> in the office. I'm going. And so Ron is telling Vince what's going on. And he goes, tell him, Dilo. And I go, yeah, everything he just said. Because I don't know what to say. I'm sitting in the office. I don't know what to say. So Ron went back and just, just like, this ain't going to work. And we, we can't have him in the nation because it's 
he has a vision of where we're not going to go. And I, I've, I've worked too hard to get us here. And, and to Vince's credit, that night he goes, all right, Ahmed's out. We'll jump him out and he'll go on to do his own thing. He was, he was in the nation 24 hours. <laughs> 24 hours. That was a tough yeah. gig, man. And you got into 20, a little, you got into a little scuffle with him backstage. Yeah. Um, so we're in uh, hell, somewhere in the Carolinas, and Rocky and Ahmed are putting together a match. And so I'm, I'm all as I always did. I would listen to matches get put together because if I'm seconding, I got to know where my spot is or whatever. So as this match is being called, Ahmed's like. He wants to, like, lock up and then hit Rocky with his finish in, like, two seconds and then continue the match. And Rocky's like, this is stupid. He's like, this, this, is, this, is, not, this is not good psychology. It's not going to work. And Ahmed is arguing because he wants to get his point across. And then Ahmed finally goes, man, we go through this. I'm going to moke your ass. I'm sitting and I go, moke? What is moke? And he looks at me and goes, I'm moke your ass. I was like, nobody's going to moke nobody's ass. I don't even know what moke means at this point. And he's trying to say smoke. He goes, I'll smoke your ass. I'm like, nobody's going to smoke nobody. So I sit down and lace my boots up. And, you know, Rocky and Ahmed finish the conversation up. And then Ahmed turns to me and goes, don't you say another one of my uh, – don't get involved in my matches again or anything like that. And I go, okay. So I'm tying up and lace my boots up. And at the corner of my eye, I see this blur. And I look up, and here's Ahmed swinging a paint can at my head. A paint can? A paint can. that he had just, It was like a spray paint can. So – I lay back and I let him come into me. I, I flip over, I hook him, I double underhook him. I've got my knuckles in his in his in his breastplate here, and I just look at him. I was like, "Thank you, a stupid son of a bitch. How'd that work out for you?" And he, and then all I hear, I got Ron and, and uh, Godfather in the back of me going, "Delo, if you let him go, we can get him off of you." And I, I just got him hooked, and I'm holding him there. It wasn't a big fist up fight. I just hooked him and stretched him a little bit. But uh, the next day. I'm thinking I'm going to get fired because here I am. Here's Ahmed Johnson, a top guy. Um, and here I am, low man in nation. It's we got to go into the, in the Jim Ross's office to talk about our physicality locker. That's just not condoned. And uh, JR sits there and he talks. And then at the end, he goes, he goes, figure out what's going on, get the story. And then he goes, boys, we don't do that in this company. So either we're going to get along, and he looks at me. Or he looks over, he looks at Ahmed and, go, Ahmed and goes, or one of us is going to get along. You, you, you boys choose. Basically saying, we're going to get together or one of us is leaving. And at that point, I was like, he picked me over him. Yes! I'm all right. <laughs> I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I, We didn't get any, it wasn't a physical throwdown. It was just, I hooked him and stretched him a little bit and then pulled, you know, got pulled apart. But he, he was going to swing on me because of a move in a match. And, you know, it was just a waste of, of talent. You know, it's just, you know, they really wanted to use Ahmed. I mean, they really did. And Ron, at one point, really tried to help him. Mm -hmm. You know, Yo, Ron, 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 Ron wanted to take him under his wing because Ron saw a lot in him. He had the look. Yeah. Um, I mean, very few guys in his business then or today are built like that or move like that. Um Oh, he, had a great, he, was, he, was, he was a Brock Lesnar-looking guy before Brock Lesnar came yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, the guy was that impressive. I mean, wow. You look at Ahmed Johnson. He's a, he's a Cape Miss. He's a Cape Miss talent in our business. And, and I remember Ron telling Ahmed, just be quiet. The man is trying to give you money, meaning Vince is trying to give him a position. 
He's trying to put him in a spot to make money. The man is trying to give you money. Just be quiet and learn. And when, when, when you don't heed Ron's advice, he'll turn on you. And when he turns on you, well, you don't want to be that son of a bitch. <laughs> no. no <laughs> you don't Ron, want to be that guy. Ron doesn't turn on – I've, I've never seen it. I, I've never seen no. it. I've, I've only seen it with Ahmed. And, and when he turned on Ahmed, Ahmed was public enemy number one. And he didn't care. If, he didn't care about Ahmed anymore. Yeah, and Ron had such yeah. status that you know nobody, nobody, nobody messed no, with Ron. No, when Ron, Ron. Yeah. when Ron said something, it was God. Ron could tell me the sky was purple, and I would go, "That's a pretty magenta up there." Because that's that's <laughs> Ron. That's Ron. And they'd look at you and say, "Damn, Dilo." He can tell Briscoe the people's flooded his room. Yeah, and the people, right now, they're still searching in South Africa for the people's. They're still searching for the people's right now. It was the greatest excuse ever. We're all sitting there watching it. What is he talking about? And Ron's not going to stooge whoever has done it. He's not going to stooge nothing. No. (laughs) And I, I often thought, could I use that again? But only Ron can pull that excuse off. Oh, only no Ron, doubt about only it. Ron. And Anybody else, else? laughed out. <laughs> exactly. Well, Dilo, thanks so much for coming on the show. I've been looking forward to this since I saw you at whatever convention I saw you at. And I, I said, man, this this be great to have Dilo on the show. Well, I appreciate it. And, and I always have a lot of friends in this business, but they're not two more friendly of faces than the ones I'm looking at right now. And right. guys, I'm, I'm blessed to have you, have you in my life and my career. I am proud to call you friend. And I've been waiting to come on this for a long time. I'm so glad I did it. Thank you, D-Lo, so much, man. Yeah, yeah, what a classic. I mean, and man, to hear your stories, I mean, holy cow, I, you know, we listen to them over and over again. We love them all the time. You know, and that's the great thing about having friendship. How do you telling somebody, you know, in this business, you make a lot of acquaintances, but very rarely do you make a friend, you know, in this mm-hmm. business. And there's, there's two on it on this screen there, you know, that we've all gotten along and, and we've all grown our friendship through the years. But it's been a pleasure, man. And where, where, where can people get that D-Lo Brown now? What, you know, what, what's going on? You, want you to can hit me. You, you, um, you can get me on Twitter. Uh, I'm the only verified D-Lo at D-Lo Brown 75. I will talk uh, Chicago Bears football. I will talk wrestling, and I'll talk Liverpool football all day long. And uh, occasionally some of the food that I eat because, hey, I don't have to diet anymore. I don't have to wear spandex. So I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and you wore that strap, man. That would be hard all the time. That You know, I, I hated that thing at first, but it turned out to be the best thing for me. Other than the head shake, the chest protector was the, <laughs> the thing I'm most known for. People ask me if I had that thing in my car right now. Dino, <laughs> could we get a little head check as we're going out here? You, you, you better recognize <laughs> who the hell I am. Hey, Dino, we love you. When I saw you at the convention, it's, it's like uh, 20 years had been two seconds. You know, just uh, my, when, you see old, my, when you see old friends, it's just a good thing. That's why Jerry and I love this so, show so much, just seeing old friends, you know, and, and visiting with them. My eyes lit up when I saw you, and you i couldn't say yes fast enough to being on the show so thank, <laughs> thank you, you thank you thank you and that's that's say uh take care of my son over at impact i'm gonna try i'm, I'm gonna try <laughs>
Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com.